Welcome to Downstage Center on XM Satellite Radio, a co-production of XM and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John Von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. We're really happy to have as our two guests tonight the two newest stars on Broadway in The Producers. Max Bialystok is here himself in the person of Brad Oscar. Brad has been with the show since the beginning. He played Franz Liebkind in the original cast and has since recently moved again into the role of Max Bialystok, having played it as the, uh, as the standby and also on national tour. Brad also has been an original cast member of Jekyll and Hyde. He made his Broadway debut in Andrew Lloyd Webber's Aspects of Love, and he has played many characters in the Forbidden Broadway series. And Leo Bloom is here as well. Roger Bart created the role of Carmen Ghia, for which he received the Tony and the Drama Desk nominations. He also received 1999 Tony Drama Desk Awards for Best Featured Actor in a Musical as Snoopy in the revival of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, and currently is working on the Paramount remake of The Stepford Wives. Howard? Welcome to you both. I want to try to not ask the obvious question to begin, so let me ask you... You both have been with this show since the very beginning. Uh, it's now, golly, three and a half years since the show began rehearsals, tried out in Chicago before it came to New York. And you are, of course, in different roles, roles for which you both, uh, and the roles that you created are roles for which you both received great acclaim. We hear you on the cast album. What is it like watching people play your old roles every night? Uh, wow. It, it, you know, it was surreal for me at the beginning. Uh, the first couple times that I, uh, I went on for Nathan were the first times, of course, that I saw someone else play Franz. But, um, I think in those moments I was so consumed with what I had to do that evening playing the role of Max that I wasn't paying too much attention, uh, in many ways as far as thinking, oh my God, someone else has their mitts on my part. Um, but uh, uh, now I actually I find it quite enjoyable. Actually, now oftentimes I think Roger and I sit there and we think, wow, we didn't realize how easy we had it now. <laughs> we're, we're working our butts off. But uh, yeah. Yeah, it's true. We, we've, I, I've had a delightful time watching the different people coming up and, and doing Carmen Ghia. They've all been wonderful. And uh, at times I suffer, I have to admit, acute jealousy at some of the success they've had. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You think, I but, didn't get that right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just, it's, it's, it's quite a joy to watch them. They're really fun. The only thing that we sort of have to resist sometimes is, is accidentally, is sort of always that feeling of like, oh shoot, is it was that my line? Is, is it my turn to talk? Because yeah, yeah. they're so built into us when when we're supposed to speak. Yeah. Have you ever just almost started to say the line that the old character would have said? Uh, it's sort of a slight sense of panic, but every once in a while, I'll actually find myself doing a gesture. That's usually <laughs> where I'm really guilty: is doing a gesture yeah. that, that Leo Bloom should never be doing. That is Carmen Gia's, <laughs> and trying to kind of figure out a way to make sense of it. So it's been uh, it's been very funny. And so much of what we do, I think, becomes muscle memory because you do it eight times a week, and that's that's part of what makes the job easier too. I think once you really get it into your body. So uh, yeah, certainly leaving our former roles behind there's there's re residual stuff happening i mean i have a constant track in my head mm -hmm. i think i hear franz's lines before he says them because <laughs> right. although i guess at this point we hear everybody's line but i mean brad, we know the show so well and brad never i don't think you ever went back and did uh 
Franz Liebkin once you sort of is that right? Uh, after that first year, yeah. Right, so because exactly. I I actually went right, back exactly. and did Carmen Ghia again, and with that slight fear, as I know Matthew sort of felt when he went back and did Leo Bloom of, oh geez, maybe I am I still going to be any good at this? I I don't know. Maybe I'm a, a too big of a legend in my own mind <laughs> at this point. <laughs> so I don't know. It was it was interesting to go back and try to do it again. Well, when you went back and did it the second time, did you change anything from your first time around as Carmen Ghia? Oh, just more hammy. Uh, That's all. I, I admit it. You know, I look back sometimes at some of the, the B-roll footage, which is, as you know, some of the early press stuff that they took uh, when we were we were on. And, we were, and, and that was really before I became so disgustingly, you know, uh, <laughs> hammy. <laughs> so I look back at now when I do it, I go, geez, it's, I, maybe it did a little better just being a little simple. <laughs> is, that, is that hamminess kind of a natural part of your personality, or do you have to work at that? I think it's it's, it's probably, probably a natural part. And I think it's sort of Brad just sort of said, too, when you when you do something eight times a week, and part of the challenge is, of course, is just trying to get at the most, sort of the maximum of, of every laugh uh, out there. And, and and sometimes that, of course, results in sure. people being, you know, a little, a little heavy-handed in, in trying to get those laughs. And as uh, we were speaking about before we started recording, we were talking about some of the audiences over time uh, maybe – Needing uh, uh, maybe something other than just uh, the uh, the line, uh, maybe they need me to to do something a little silly on top of it. That they kind of well, the, the show was certainly over response. the top, so that would be very appropriate to do anything silly at all. But certainly get a laugh, I would think. Yeah, yeah. Well, how much latitude do you have? I mean, does Susan Stroman come back and check you? Or are you dealing really with stage managers or or uh, uh, assistant director? Well, I mean, we you know definitely Susan Stroman comes by every once in a while, as does Mel Brooks. Um, but as far as, uh, you know, the eight times a week, the running of the show, yeah, it's the production stage manager, uh, the dance captains, the musical director. Those are the people who try to keep us in line. They do their best to try to keep us in line. Yeah. And but then if things get out of hand, that's when Stroh or Mel shows up? And the, Yeah, we get a slap on the wrist. No, they, not really. They I read mean, the reports every day. Yeah, they, of course. We, we're not crazy either, you know. We're <laughs> no, and I think part of the reason, uh, ideally, that Roger and I are doing these roles is because they, they trust us, they respect yeah. us, so they know that we're not going to go out there and do something so outrageous, so off the cuff. Um, and uh, but you know that's I mean that's what's so great about this show too is that the, the, the nature of live theater is it's different every night. And because the show is so uh, there's a circle of energy that happens I think between us and an audience. And so depending on what we're getting back from them is going to often depend on you know what's coming back, yeah, how much we can play. Yeah. So if you get more response, does that egg you on to be more over the top? Shall we say? Well, it's something, unfortunately, in the, in the radio business, probably you're not familiar with, but except from maybe nice lengthy emails. Uh, but by that time, you're you know it's already the broadcast is over. But for us, yeah, it's a, it's definitely an an exchange uh, between the audience and ourselves. And gosh knows, there are some nights that we we go out and we we try to get them sort of going, and maybe they don't want to come with us. And then other times. Uh, you know, we'll we'll just entertain each other as best we can too. Yeah. It's a, well, on those nights know. where they're not going, where you want them to go, what do you then do to try to get the audience with? Well, you? I mean, you that's dangerous them? because again, that's that's where then you can start to really go off the beaten track. And you know, our job is to go out there and you know play these guys, tell this story, and uh, and for all intents and purposes, that doesn't change every night. Right. But yeah. but you know, I guess the nuance and the energy and stuff like that, it does. Um, but I think I think we both know it's dangerous. 
to try to reach for them, try to make them like us, try to make yeah. them laugh. Uh, we're blessed with, with uh, you know, excellent material. So we have to trust that. And I think we do. Yeah. Um, and but an I excellent think, supporting cast. You oh, know? yeah. So I mean, we're, everybody we're on that lucky. stage. Yes. And, I, you know, when I go to the theater, I'm not exactly laughing my face off and creating a lot of noise. So you can't be too hard on the folks that actually just kind of come and sit quietly. Right. Exactly. You know, it's not and preferable smile, for you know, us. We don't, we don't hear the smile. We don't hear the chuckle. <laughs> that's right. You know? And so, yeah, it is, uh, but it, yeah, it's dangerous it's to It's the reading the programs and work. sleeping that annoys me. That's, <laughs> those are rare. I want to come back to a comment that, that Brad made about the muscle memory because um, you've also had the experience now not only of, of playing two different parts in the same production, but Brad, you have officially played Bialystok opposite three different Leos, mm-hmm. and with understudies mm-hmm. and things like that, you said you've played it yeah. opposite how many? I, I think it's got to be at least nine guys, I think. And Roger, how many Bialystoks have, have you played with? Well, he's been with a lot more men than I have. <laughs> Brad and I, have, we had a prenup, so that worked out. Uh, I've done the Leo, I did, I went on a couple times with Nathan not so right. long ago, which was a real gas, and, and then other than that, I did it with uh, Louis Stadlin. And uh, and been fortunate enough to do it with Brad. So those are. And so, what kind of do you, what kind of give and take do you have? Again, within there are certain parameters of the show, but there's also certain freedom. Um, how have you found doing that with with all of these different people? Um, hmm. None no. of you can see this, but I'll give Brad a moment. But we ask a question, and Roger keeps pointing to Brad. I do, I do. <laughs> so you take it. It gives me a chance to think about exactly. it. Exactly. You know? get to think about it, right? And I'll just tap dance here. <laughs> and I, and um, he's just, you've been with so many other more more men than me. I have been. I, I think that more you're probably better you. educated. Well, I'm response. glad this is the Broadway station, so people understand what we're saying <laughs> in every way. Um, uh, you know, again, I mean, that's that's the joy of of uh, of doing this every night with whoever that other actor is, and uh, getting to do it eight times a week, and to to establish, you know, that rapport, to sort of uh, get to that place where we're both, and you know, Roger and I had done this together for at least five or six months last year, so we're sort of returning, and uh, so we had, you know, this was a pre-existing condition for us, but um, I think once for me at least, every time uh, I got through that initial phase of uh, understanding that actor's rhythm, understanding, uh, you know, being able to look at that actor's face and sort of know, you know, where he is, where we are, get on the same page. Uh, and then you have the freedom to, then then you play, then you dance together every night, and every night's going to be different, and every night's going to have its own sort of give and take and, and nuance. But, um, but I love the fact, I mean, I especially love doing it with Roger because I think because we were both there from the beginning so we were there in that rehearsal room for six weeks when this whole thing was created we saw uh, how it came together organically and um, so I think we both bring that with us and it, it, it gives us an extraordinary base to work from you know as opposed to coming into a show blindly and having four weeks of rehearsal and, uh, and throwing yourself in we have a lot more history which is helpful. Now, it has to be tough for both of you because, Brad, you're in the role of Max Bialystok, which, of course, Nathan Lane originated, and, Roger, you're Leo Bloom, the role that Matthew Broderick originated. You've been with the show, as you point out, since the beginning. How, now that you're in these roles, how do you make them your own? That that took time, I have to say, and I think that uh, I, probably Brad feels the same way, but, you know, those guys were so great and made such indelible marks with these their characterizations. It's very difficult to have to all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, uh, not 
pay homage to them, whether consciously or unconsciously, as you're doing the part for a while. Uh, I remember friends of mine came early on when I took over for Matthew in the first week, and they said, you know what? Uh, just try not to do the things that Matthew does, you mm-hmm. know, and you'll be in, in better shape, you know. And, and I think that they were right. It was you couldn't help your I couldn't help myself. He was so great, and you you just hear the show that way because it's like listening to an album every night upstairs. And so it takes a, it takes a few weeks, maybe even a few months, to really sort of make it your own and start to you know to really rephrase things and and think differently. Uh, that that is that is very personal to you. You know, it takes a while. Right, and let the ghosts sort of, you know, dissipate. Yeah. As um, great as they are, you know. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they were extraordinary. And we would be fools not to have looked at that as, as a, you know, a place to start for that's God's right. I mean, you, know, what you can. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's what, you know, so much of this is all about, especially comedy, I think. It's all, uh, you know, it's all, I mean, and this show especially in its in its uh, burlesque form and its sketch comedy, you know, that whole Mel Brooks thing, um, you know, that's there's a lot of great history to sort of steal from. And so mm-hmm. we'd be fools not to acknowledge that and 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 use a lot of that well, but, what, yeah. uh, i'm sorry no no but it does take time for the ghosts to dissipate i mean i remember the first certainly that first year when i was understudying nathan and then uh for at least a couple months after i actually took over the role uh i heard nathan's voice in my head through the mm-hmm. whole every line i said in my head was the echo of, of of nathan's delivery and the and the bigger laugh that i thought he must have gotten but you know but over time like roger says well, you get away from that one of the great uh, roles that mel brooks did create was the one that you originated franz liebkind yes and you sang a song i will not dare to pronounce the name of this <laughs> but i'd like to play it if you, if you will it introduce it. it's not that difficult <laughs> haben sie gehört das deutsche band can you say that fast three times? Haben Sie gehört das deutsche Band? Haben Sie gehört das deutsche Band? Haben Sie gehört das deutsche Band? And we'll hear that a few more times oh. in the track we're about to play. Yeah, exactly. And the song that I will not pronounce the title of, take it from <laughs> Even after all this now, still? Even hearing it, oh. that's right. Brad Husker from the producers <laughs> on XM28 on Broadway. I'm curious, of course, as one of those fans of theater... This is a show that has already entered theater lore. This is a show that's going to get talked about for years and years and years long after it's gone, which isn't going to happen for a long time, of course. But but I do want to go back to to the process, to the creation of this show. What was the environment that you worked in with Susan Stroman and with Mel Brooks, who is himself a director? Was that ever an issue, an author who was used to being a director? But just take us back to those original rehearsals and what what that was like. Well, I certainly can't speak for what the atmosphere was like uh, when not in the rehearsal room and what Mel was like when we weren't there. However, I I would sort of describe it as, you know, Susan Stroman is uh, one of the many gifts that she has is she's remarkably prepared and on the ball and really, really sharp. So our rehearsals began at 10 a.m. I mean, they they were they were tough. We were we went to work, and Mel, on the other hand, would roll in around 11:45, at, right at the end of whatever we were rehearsing, particularly if it was a song. And he go, "You're ruining my masterpiece." It's the first thing he would say whenever he would enter, and he did it, I think, days in a row. Oh, he loved it. Yeah. So he he actually sort of uh, was. Uh, was very quiet, sat behind the table uh, with Thomas uh, Meehan, uh, his writing partner on it, and um, was was very much there uh, supporting us every inch of the way, uh, would laugh, and when he'd laugh, we were, it spoke volumes of whether or not we were on the right track or not. I, he, sure. I remember him saying to me one time, I had done a, a little speech, and he goes, that's it, it's a print, you know, <laughs> keep it, don't change it, he would say. 
and uh, and Susan was uh, 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 was sort of amazing at, at keeping us working so hard every day, creating an atmosphere of of of, the, of safety, to be able to take chances in front of somebody as sort of terrifying as as Mel was to all of us at that time because we were just yeah. you know gosh we just sort of hoped he liked us you know yeah so it was interesting but he was smart enough I think Mel for all his you know many years of experience and and and, and the classics that he has you know left us for eternity um, he was smart enough to know that this was an area that he had not had a huge amount of experience in and that he had hired the best uh, that the producers and Mel had hired the best team possible to put this thing together and I think God bless him he was smart enough to allow them to do it. Uh, certainly, his input was there, and certainly, if he felt strongly about something, you know, we knew about it, it would come up. But, but he was smart enough to let uh, to let these people do what they did best. Mm. And uh, and and Stro is is a great collaborator for both actor and the writer and designer. Uh, she's really smart about all that because she also came from a performance background. So I think she knows what it's about from our side, and thus is able to sort of nurture and encourage. And you do feel like you can go out there and. And, and try something or really go for it and uh, and you're not going to fall on your face because if it doesn't work we'll just find another way I mean she made it very safe that way did Mel Brooks did, did you get stories out of him about his movies and, and was he were, were you hearing about the original producers were you hearing about Young Frankenstein yeah he would I, occasionally have little quips here and there I mean not uh, you know we didn't like sit around the campfire and tell I mean God I think we all would have loved that yeah I think you we know I mean to hear him we, talk we were working hard but yeah but every once in a while he would um, he would make a comment as to how something came to be in the movie how a certain line came how a certain scenario whatever um, and so he would give us you know sort of that history yeah. uh, one of my favorite things that he used to do is he would say uh, <laughs> we would say how was that or if he was not even asking how was that after a performance he would he would give us a thumbs up si- sign and say uh, what is it it sucked I think was one of them <laughs> or, or, or surprisingly or surprisingly good, good you know surprisingly it was always he, he definitely sort of enjoyed ambiguity uh, for, for those who have not seen the show or perhaps not seen the movie how similar or dissimilar are the movie and the show itself other than the show being a musical well, um, I, I pretty much structurally, they're very similar. Uh-huh. Um, but I think, uh, again, they were smart enough because when we went into rehearsal, there was a lot of material in the show, in the stage show, uh, that eventually got cut, that was directly from the film, whether it was a line of dialogue or an exchange or whatever, because they realized that as much as, you know, I mean, the, the film is brilliant, the screenplay is, you know, I mean, it's an Oscar-winning screenplay. And there are those of us who can sit around and, and do sure. some of those lines and have been doing them for 20 exactly, years. Exactly, exactly. But they realized that to keep uh, a line or an exchange in the show merely because it was so successful in the film and everyone, those fans of it, you know, would love to hear it on stage was to betray what we really needed to do, which was to tell this story on stage and what that meant to, you know, get from A to B in the most economical, clean way. And, of course, you're adding all these songs, so you certainly have to get rid of a lot of that screenplay or incorporate it into the songs, which they did quite brilliantly as well. And besides the addition to the music, obviously, the the other big change to the show really was its ending, you know, and making uh, Roger Debris... Uh, the director actually go on for Franz Liebkin at the last second uh, as uh, Adolf Hitler in Springtime for Hitler um, was the big change and also at the very yeah. end and how it wraps up. Uh, yeah. which Again, I'd- a very smart move because you have that character in the film LSD, 
you know, and that's such a time and place, that whole that whole late 60s thing, you know, and I think it would have felt slightly, uh, more than slightly dated and perhaps yeah, out of place about that. on stage today. Mm-hmm. So I think they found a great way of, you know, restructuring that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and even yeah. though we are set the show in 1959, we still managed to bring out the village people at one point. <laughs> <laughs> of course, confuses everybody, but not really. A little anachronisms here and there, yeah. but hey. It's okay. Hey. Believe me, no one is thinking about that. When I they, don't think they, so. They're yeah. just laughing their heads they're off. They're just enjoying themselves, yeah. yeah. Well, one of the uh, characters that they laughed their heads off was your portrayal of Carmen Gia. I'd like to play a song from the show that you are involved in as that character, not as Leo Bloom, but as Carmen Gia. Would you like to introduce yourself? Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> keep uh, it gay, perhaps? It is keep it gay. And uh, uh, it's... Uh, Maybe you can set up how it works in the show. Oh, well, uh, basically, uh, 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 Max Bialystok and Leo Bloom show up at the worst director in town's uh, Upper East Side townhouse, uh, proposing that he, uh, being so bad, directs this production of Springtime for Hitler. And uh, it's uh, uh, the, the director, uh, Roger Debreed, uh, has some, a lot of reservations about actually sort of directing. It may not be his cup of tea. So he kind of works it out during the song, and eventually Max Bialystok convinces him that this is the project that's, that's just right for him. Great. Keep it gay. From the producers, that's Keep It Gay. For those just tuning in, we're speaking with Brad Oscar, who is currently playing Max Bialystok, and with Roger Bart, who's playing Leo Bloom in The Producers on Broadway. XM28 on Broadway. Howard? So I do want to go back to the... I feel like we've been going backwards in this interview, but I want to go back to one more thing and, and talk a little about also some of your, your other work on stage. But But Brad... You virtually have a 42nd Street story about Mm. how you came into the producers. And for those who haven't heard it, would you just tell us where where you were when the producers first came into your life and how you ascended? (laughs) Well, I had been um, I've been doing the uh, Broadway musical Jekyll and Hyde for a long time because uh, a show that opened to. You know, pretty scathing reviews managed to run for four. I mean, it was a very popular gig, which was nice because it was a good job and I was working. And uh, I had gone to, they had given me a leave of absence a couple times and I had gone to play Santa Claus for the Radio City Christmas Spectacular. So I was in Branson, Missouri, because they do the Christmas show outside of New York and like four or five other cities. And I was in Branson and my agent called and said they were looking for a standby for the role of Max Bialystok. And uh, I said, oh, well, I will fly in immediately. So I flew in. I thought, well, this is either the best $1,000 I'll ever spend or it'll just be a good tax write-off. And I flew in and I auditioned and boom, it all happened. I got it. Um, I uh, Radio City was very generous and let me out of my contract. And before I knew it, two weeks later, I was sitting in a rehearsal room with uh, all these extraordinary people. And by the time I actually signed the contract, I was covering... Uh, Max and Franz and Roger Debris and like four guys in the ensemble because uh, needless to say why hire one actor to cover one role when he can cover seven <laughs> so uh, so yeah I was doing all that and so we were in rehearsal and I was sitting behind the table with the other swings as we're called and uh, you know trying to just take in as much as I could and being slightly overwhelmed by it all but when we got to Chicago right before we went into performances the actor who had been cast as Franz uh, had a, an issue with his knee and had to have some surgery so I was on and I actually started performances in Chicago and did most of the Chicago run um, and they decided to keep me in the role of Franz so I, I officially took over the role of Franz while still covering Max Bialystok and 
and yeah, and then you know we opened, and the rest is all history. And yeah, Casey. but it was unbelievable. I mean, I still you know I look back, and now it is it is history, and it's sort of like okay, I'm you know for a while it was all I talked about, um, but of course I still look back, and I think what an extraordinary uh, time it was, and how how special, and how blessed and lucky, and all that stuff. Yeah, case of being at the right place at the right time. Sure, I mean you know it's the business. Yeah, and Roger, how did you get into the show? I was out working at the Bay Street Theater in uh, in Sag Harbor, and mm. I had an audition for, of all things, Franz Liebknecht. Right, and, right. They saw you as Franz. And, uh, <laughs> I love so that. So I, I thought, well, this is going to be a bust. So I, I came, but Mel was going to be there for the callback. So I took a, the Hampton Jitney back and, <laughs> uh, early in the morning, and, and I walked into the room, and there were like four guys who were all about 6'4", and big potatoes you know and I was like oh man am I in the wrong this is really a waste of time and uh, and I left the room and, and they went out into the hallway and they said would you mind coming in and, and reading um, Carmen Gia and I said yeah that'd be fun so I, I did and and quite fortunately uh, uh, I ended up uh, uh, getting the role of Carmen Gia because the um, the wonderfully talented Mario Cantone who had done the first uh, reading of it um, decided not to do uh, the part, and uh, which opened the door for me and uh, and changed my life. Mm-hmm. Now, in right now and at various points, I guess you you've had hiatuses and you uh, have shot a leading role in what I believe is your first major film role with Stepford Wives. Were you doing that simultaneously? Were you spending days there and and nights on... Uh... No, no, I never had to. I mean, I will be this week doing... That will be the only time that that ever happens. But uh, the, the timing of the last few years has been remarkable. You know, starting out with my daughter who was born on the very first preview in Chicago all the way through to... Uh, a, I think I left the show to go do a, a TV series called Bram and Alice, a little sitcom with Alfred Molina, which unfortunately uh, uh, didn't last very long. But at the tail end of it, uh, I was asked to come back and do Leo Bloom for uh, about five or six months. I can't remember. And then uh, and then the Stepford Wives, uh, I, I got a call saying, uh, you know, don't make any plans next summer. You know, keep your schedule open. And that, of course, was this past summer. And... Uh, I was uh, lucky enough to to get this fantastically uh, funny part in this uh, remake of Stafford Wives, and, but not, never simultaneous. Always sort of worked out rather perfectly. And Brad, before the producers, of course, you spent several years in Forbidden Broadway, one of the longest running yes. Broadway shows in New York. Yeah, yeah, I did my time over there at Forbidden Broadway, which was a, an extraordinary experience. I mean, you know, I had never worked harder and thought I would never work as hard again, mm. of course, until I <laughs> yeah. managed to be lucky enough to be doing this. Um, but yeah, I did Forbidden Broadway for about a year and a half here in New York, which was, yeah, great fun. Great. What, fun. what, what are some of the, the characters you played or the plays you spoofed? Oh, I did uh, Robert Goulet when he was coming back in Camelot. Um, I, I actually, for a while, did uh, Nathan in Guys and Dolls. <laughs> there was a Guys and Dolls sketch, and so I had to play, yes, Nathan as Nathan Detroit. Um... Uh, oh gosh, Blood Brothers and Tommy and uh, I got to play Miss Saigon herself because the whole joke of that number is non-traditional casting when that whole deal with Jonathan Price and everything. Um, so yeah, I got to do, uh, yeah. Do you know if Nathan ever saw you perform him I, in... I, I don't think so, I hope not. Or he just doesn't <laughs> speak of it. I think so, so exactly. <laughs> but have you had occasion, you know, now you've gone from, you know, there are so many 
young up-and-coming performers who get breaks doing mm. Forbidden Broadway. And right. of course, now you're in one of the roles Forbidden Broadway probably spends some time making fun of when it appears. Sure, sure. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, that would certainly be a, a great honor to, you know, get spoofed in Forbidden Broadway. Sure. It's like a, sure. it's like a bad John Simon yeah. review. You know, you cherish that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you, yeah. you mentioned that you spoofed Robert Goulet in Camelot. Mm-hmm. I'd like to play that. Can you introduce yourself mm-hmm. in a Robert Goulet persona? Oh, Lord. That, oh, wow. It's been a long time. I don't know that I could. Kind of like riding a bicycle. The whole joke of the number, actually, it was it was a pretty funny number because uh-huh. we had the, the girls were done up in these tacky sort of Vegas showgirl costumes because the whole joke was, I mean, the, the title of the number is Camel Lounge. Uh-huh. And so Gerard's whole take was that it was becoming a real sort of splashy Vegas showpiece and, uh-huh. and gotten far away. Um and uh, and so that, that I believe that's the best introduction I can give you. <laughs> okay, good enough. <laughs> And that's Robert Goulet himself. Well, <laughs> well, yes, a slightly uh, broader version, perhaps. Hey, I tell you, I, yeah. I, I could believe it just listening. I like Robert <laughs> Goulet to me. And, of course, Brad Oscar at XM28 on Broadway from Forbidden Broadway. Roger, what have you been up to lately other than having a child and uh, being in a movie? Anything else going on exciting besides a producer? That seems like enough, I guess. Well, my older daughter just got into University of Pennsylvania, mm. so I'm very excited. But, of course... It may mean that I'm doing the producers until about 2014. <laughs> uh, so, uh, no, you know, I've been just pretty busy with uh, um, finishing up and doing looping for uh, Stepford Wives. And, uh, um, gosh, Brad, what else am I doing? Anything good? Oh, gee, Raj, I don't know. I you always know, feel like it's just enough to get through eight shows a this week. Is, huh? I was going to say, this, is, pretty, this yeah. is a pretty tough schedule. I just did a very funny reading of... Uh, of Monty Python's Spamalot, which is sort of the musical of the Holy Grail, which will hopefully be hitting the Broadway, a Broadway theater in, in uh, somewhere around a year from now, or less than a year from now. That was awfully fun. Unless you were signed to a confidentiality agreement, what can you tell us about? That? Oh, that it's it's <laughs> uh, it's a whole bunch of fun. Let me tell you, uh, it it uh, it read very very well, and Mike Nichols is, I think, in his words, hopefully directing it. <laughs> uh, and uh, but it it seems like it's going to be a, a a real big hit. I think so. Be very funny. How close is it to you to the uh, to the original film? There, quite close. There's yeah. a lot. Yeah, all, a lot of those routines are still in it, including you know all the favorites like the Knights of you say Neek and other sort of sort of great great scenes like that. What role were you doing in? The, I in was the reading, uh, reading uh, Michael Palin's stuff. Um, so I was uh, Galahad the Chaste, and uh, was a, was a Knight of Knee, and uh, also was a, a very very funny part of the of the father of the young man who can't help but want to burst into song. I don't know if you remember that. Very funny. Like the original movie. movie of the producers. I think yeah, there's there's a classic. strain of people of a certain age who, if they know the producers movie by heart, they know Monty Python <laughs> and the Holy Grail by heart. So yeah. it's very interesting. I can only hope that I'll be a part of that, but it's it certainly was it was just a reading. It was awfully fun. And Brad, what has been on your plate lately other than the producers? Um, just hoping that the Mets can start to put some more hits together and um <laughs> Uh, no, I'll tell you, you know, it is nice to, I mean, other than, yeah, the occasional reading or maybe going out for, you know, a commercial audition or something like that, um, 
uh, I enjoy just having the eight a week to focus on and, you know, be able to sort of sleep in and pace my day accordingly because, you know, it's a lot to get through these weeks. Uh, so, yeah, I really try to do very little outside of, of, of the show if I can. I mean, certainly stuff like this, interviews, publicity, whatever, that's all that's all great. And, um, but, uh, no, I, uh, other than that. Well, for, for either one of you or both of you, what would a typical day in your life be like? You have a performance at night, let's say. What do you do during the day? You sleep late? You well, I don't know if Roger is read a book. <laughs> don't Poor end Roger. it. I don't know. I turned forty, and all of a sudden, I started sleeping only five hours a day. You, know? <laughs> you too. So, yeah, really? I don't know what happened. Well, if you Wait have a three-year-old, that, that also probably had yeah, something to do with it. Yeah, a lot to do with it. But you know, we just staying quiet is a big thing. You know, try not to run your mouth, which is why these interviews are so rewarding. <laughs> but uh, try not to run your mouth. Exactly. So have some if you happen to be seeing the show tonight, we apologize. <laughs> All talked out. Uh, we try yeah. to we try to stay pretty cool because it's a it's a long haul. The show is a lot of yeah. a lot of physical work. So one thing you know, we change our clothes about nine times every night. So I just try not <laughs> to change like... my clothes during the day. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah, we can throw the end of the show, and I think if we have to change our clothes one more time, and we do one more time, mm. and then it's yeah. it makes you long for the days of Moomin shots when it was only a roll of toilet paper. (laughs) Well, Roger, at the outset, I mentioned that you received both a Tony and a Drama Desk Award for Best Featured Actor, and you're a good man, Charlie Brown, for playing Snoopy. Yeah. How does one play Snoopy? Well, you know, what I tried to do was sort of uh, just riff on all of the uh, the wonderful animated cartoons as a kid and all those kind of crazy noises Snoopy would make and sort of how he would stand and... And all of those things in a, in a purely sort of uh, visual way. And then I tried to kind of figure out, uh, you know, make some very basic choices about the way Snoopy sort of perceived everyone around him. And I, I decided mm-hmm. that all of the rest of the kids were my staff, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and which I thought was sort of uh, right. And, and beginning from there, you know, the rest of it was just sort of, you know, your basic uh, sketch comedy, which sometimes worked. And sometimes did we tried hard, but you were a spikier Snoopy. I was. I had spiky you, hair. You didn't. You you didn't try to be a soft and endearing Snoopy. No, you were no. I was, and then more part manic. of that. That's right. And part of that came from making that choice that I was the smartest person in the room. In this case, animal, and uh, and that again that they were basically just there to feed me and pet me and scratch me, and that of course created that kind of uh, <laughs> that holier than uh, than most dogs can be attitude that I had. Well, let's listen to you as Snoopy. Do you want to introduce and set up Supper Time? Sure. Uh, Supper Time uh, was, uh, I would say, uh, enhanced by a wonderfully talented composer, Andrew Lippa, who took a lot of uh, uh, of the um, uh, songs and kind of juiced them up a bit. Certainly, Supper Time, as you'll hear, basically throws in everything but the kitchen sink and comes at the end of the show when poor Snoopy is just panicked about whether or not Charlie Brown has forgotten, indeed, mm-hmm. to feed him that night. From your good man, Charlie Brown, Snoopy himself, Roger Bart. Roger and Brad Oscar currently starring in The Producers on Broadway. And will there ever be a sequel to that, do you think, of Producers Part 2? <laughs> you're, you're just worried about the present, I can't I imagine. Uh, yeah, exactly. I wonder where, where does it go I from think, uh, Larry David probably came up with the closest to uh, yeah. Producers Part 2 as, as one will ever see. And the Wasn't final that extraordinary? Finale yeah, of, of Curb Your Enthusiasm yeah, was... Yeah was quite uh, flattering for the show. It was yeah. very, very funny. Not since Ricky and Lucy went to see Most Happy Fella, probably, <laughs> had the Broadway show <laughs> exactly. had that degree of exposure. Exactly, got so much exposure. It, no, was, it, was, it was fantastic. It was really swell. And yeah. Katie Huffman, who was in our show, was really great in yeah. it, too. So 
It was yeah. a real treat seeing that. Well, you guys are in a show that virtually from the moment it hit the stage entered musical comedy history and you have been absolutely instrumental parts of that in multiple roles and it's wonderful to have you both back on Broadway as Max and Leo in truly one of the funniest shows that really means musical comedy. It's also been wonderful to have you here with us today at XM28 on Broadway. We Thank you for taking the time out of it. It sounds like a pretty busy and hectic schedule. Yeah, Yeah. but hey, we're lucky boys. Yeah, Yeah, we really are. If I can use the phrase, uh, break a leg. Yes, you <laughs> may. Which plays early in the show. Yes, that is a key. You can use keep it gay if you want. <laughs> well, I won't go that far. <laughs> that would be a new take on Leo if we were saying that to you now. But, but Exactly. Not Come by the same James. You never know what we're going to do. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in and joining us today. Thank you. I'm John Von Susten at XM28 on Broadway. I'm Howard Sherman from the American Theater Wing, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Downstage Center. Please join us again next week.